Welcome to the Christchurch Conway podcast. We hope you find this podcast to be a resource that helps you grow in your faith through the study of scripture and theology. I ask that you would add your blessing to this reading of your word that we might understand the work of Christ more clearly and that we might rest more in him, that we might be reminded to look to the cross where he died for us to find our hope, our security, our identity, to find our freedom in him. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. This evening and on Sunday, we're going to look at Psalm 22 because it kind of splits in half or roughly in half. The first 21 and a half verses are are this kind of cry of dereliction, this, this anxious cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then the second half or the last third or so of the psalm is this reminder that that prayer was actually answered that there is a solution, that God did actually hear this desperate prayer. And it reflects this future that we have because of the resurrection. So tonight we're going to look at at the first 21 verses of Psalm 22 as we reflect briefly on the death of Christ as we celebrate what we call Good Friday. As we come to Psalm 22, which we read earlier, it begins with this well-known line, My God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the works of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. The title of Psalm 22 tells us that this is a psalm of David. We don't know for sure if that means that David wrote it or that it was written for David or or about David. We don't know exactly what it means to call something a psalm of David. There's some flexibility in the language there. And on top of that, uh, unlike some psalms that are very clear, like Psalm 51, for instance, it's very clear the episode with Bathsheba is what's in mind as he responds to that in repentance. With Psalm 22, it's not clear. Some people have argued that it may be when his sons were trying to kill him, and certainly that would be a low point in life. It could be any number of points in David's life as he hid in caves or as he had his kingdom seemingly ripped from him, as his son tried to kill him, as he ran from Saul. There there could have been any number of low, dark points in David's life that these words would have been appropriate on his lips. But as we go through this psalm, we see this intensity as he goes back and forth between these these, these calls of derelicts and these, these desperate calls, longing for God to do something, wondering why has my God, there's this personal relationship, forsaken me? In verses 3 through 5, he, he moves into this situation where He's calling out to God based on how God has been. You are holy, enthroned on the prayer, and you are fathers trusted. They trusted, and you delivered them. He's essentially calling God to account for who he is and wondering, where are you now for me? My fathers, my people, we have trusted you. We've called on you before, and you answered. What gives in this moment? We begin, I think, to to hear this and and we can at some level identify with the position in which David or or, or the psalmist finds himself. 
We've been in these dark moments of life where, where we don't understand why what is happening around us is happening around us. And it feels as if we've been abandoned. It feels as if we've been forsaken. So the psalmist begins to look inward. I'm a worm and not a man. He's looking inward and describing how other people also see him. I'm a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind, despised by the people. They mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. And, and it, he trusts in the Lord. Let, they just like, look, let him do it. Give him to God. Give him to the Lord. Give him to Yahweh because he delights in him. If, if he's his hope, let him be his hope. He goes back to reminding God, essentially saying in verses 9 through 11, you got me into this life. It's on you to get me out. It was you, God, who took me from the womb. It was you who made me trust you at, your, at my mother's breast. I, I was cast from birth. I was cast on you from birth, from my mother's womb. You've been my God. He, he's reminding him, I, I'm not some Johnny come lately. I haven't just shown up and, and now I'm wondering, where are you? This has been my life. Where are you? You've been my hope. From the moment I was born, where are you? He turns back to his desperation beginning in verse 12, describing it with, with all of this imagery of, of animals surrounding him. These bulls of, of Bashan, these, these ravening, roaring lions with their mouths open wide. It, it brings up this idea of Satan prowling around like a roaring lion. We don't know, again, we don't know who these people are. We don't know what exactly particular situation the psalmist may have in mind here. We only can fill in, in, in this, this kind of a hyperbolic description, we can fill his desperation. He, he looks around and he's surrounded by enemies on every side and he sees no way out. Only death. He begins describing himself again in verse 14. I'm poured out like water. My bones are out of joint. My heart is melted within me. My strength is dried up. My tongue, I mean, he's just physically, what he's going through has utterly undone him. And he's got nothing left. And then he lays it all at God's feet at the end of verse 15. You lay me in the dust of death. He goes back this time talking about dogs encompassing him, evildoers surrounding him, circling. They're piercing his hands and his feet. They're attacking him. He can see his bones. They're making fun of him. They're taking his clothes. And so he calls out to God again. But you, O oh Lord, do not be far off. Oh, you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword. Save me from the mouth of the lion. It's an absolutely desperate call to God in a moment of darkness, in a moment of fear. In a moment of, of, of complete emotional desperation, 
calling out, and seemingly getting nothing. At least for these first 21 verses. Feeling utterly forsaken by his God. And there's a temptation to read this, and, and we'll finish the psalm Sunday morning as we, as we see that, that God does answer. And of course, we know that he does. We sit here this evening celebrating the death of Christ because he does answer the afflicted when they call to him. He does answer the desperate when they call to him. But, but there's, there's a temptation to, to identify with what the psalmist is saying. And some have even encouraged that we should take this and and learn to pray from this psalm. It's okay to call out to God like this. And and certainly it is. It is. It's okay. And and, and when, when you're in that dark spot to call out and say, where are you? It's okay to admit our absolute utter need and, and our absolute and utter desperation. But if you've been around Christianity for any amount of time, if you've been around the passion of Christ for any amount of time, there's stuff that you recognize in this psalm. Words that that we heard earlier when we read in Matthew 27 that Christ took from this psalm as his own. And that reminds us That if we're going to take this psalm as our own, we must first let Christ take it as his own. Because that's exactly what Jesus did. In Matthew 27, 46, and in Mark 15, 34, the the evangelists both include in their story Jesus' own cry of dereliction from the cross. About the ninth hour, it tells us, he hung on the cross, and, and just before he died, he called out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Remember, earlier in the Garden of Gethsemane, he called out, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. If anything else can happen but this, let, it, let this cup pass. But if not, your will be done. We read of the mocking of Jesus. Even even the guards calling out to him saying, you know, he trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Daring him. If you're God, save yourself. Come down from the cross. If you're so mighty. We hear the guards recognize the value of his cloak and and refuse to tear it. And instead, as, as David wrote, as the psalmist wrote, casting lots. For his clothes. We read the story of Jesus' side being, or back being ripped open as he was beaten, and his side being speared as the, the blood and the water flowed, of his hands and his feet being pierced as he was nailed to the cross for us. In other words, We can't pin this to any particular scene in David's life because it's about Jesus. It's about what he endured. 
prophetically told before it ever happened on the lips of the psalmist. Here we have the description of what our Savior went through for us. Here we have the description of of, of the despair that he felt on the cross as he had the wrath of God poured out on him for our sins. As he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the wrath of God. Here as people stood by watching some out of curiosity, some to destroy him. We have the story of Jesus on the cross some 2,000 years ago. And so while we we can take this prayer and, and, and it can be ours, we find in these words, in the mouth, as, as these words are, are taken in, in the mouth and experience of Christ, we learn something better than if we take these words any other way. For we learn here a prayer that we will never have to pray if we are united to Christ. For he was forsaken. He was mocked, he was beaten, he was humiliated for us. So now, we may feel forsaken in some dark night of the soul, in the face of our sin. We may feel that way, but we are not forsaken because Christ was. When we face the the difficulties, the pains of life, and it feels as if dogs and evildoers are encircling us and lions are ready to attack, we may feel in this life utterly forsaken by our God. But we're not. We may taste closer than we want the kiss of death, and we may feel forsaken by God, but we're not, because Christ was. So when we pray in this way in our flesh, when we don't take these words through Christ, when we don't let these words of Psalm 22 be Jesus' words first, The law answers when we call out in our flesh, why have you forsaken? The law answers, for you have sinned in every way. That's why. But when in the weakness of our faith, when under some darkness and conviction of sin, when we are in in that state compelled to pray in this way, by faith, looking to Christ, we do not hear back from the law, but from Christ. And what we hear in that moment is that God has not forsaken us. For Christ hung forsaken in our place and for our sin, that we might not be forsaken, but have his spirit 
ever with us. That's why we have to take this psalm and let it be Christ's psalm first. Because if we take it any other way, we're just left in despair. But when we take these words as the prayer of Christ on the cross, we're given hope because we're reminded the Savior, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, He was forsaken. So we won't be. He was beaten. He was scored. His bones were laid open. So ours won't be. His, he received the wrath of God. So we won't. He gave the cry of dereliction on the cross. So that we never have to. Many of us are facing all kinds or have faced all kinds of dark days in our lives. Some that were thrust upon us, some that in our sin we brought upon ourselves and it has felt like we were being forgotten. It has felt like we were being forsaken. It has felt like God had turned his back utterly on us. But he hasn't. Because he did that to Jesus for us. Alec Motier says, No Christian can read this psalm without being vividly confronted with the crucifixion. Indeed so, for this is not a description of illness, but of execution. Here the story of Christ in his crucifixion is foretold. These words that Christ took on his mouth and and took in his experience for us. And because he did, because he did, we don't have to cry out, why have you forsaken me? We get to skip directly to the next psalm and say, even though I walk, Through the valley of the shadow of death, you will be with me. You make a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. See, because Psalm 22 is first Christ's psalm before it's ever ours, Psalm 23 is our psalm. He leaves us with lack, with no lack at all. He protects us with his rod and his staff. And he never leaves us. Because of Good Friday, you, dear Christian, do not have to call out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because Christ called that out for you. He was forsaken so that we would never be. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that Christ took our shame, took our sin, 
took our sorrow, took the wrath that we deserved, was forsaken by you, his God and Father, that we might not be. That his blood was shed to pay for our sins, that he died on the cross to free us from sin. that we might never be separated from you again. Father, thank you for giving your son to be forsaken so that we could be kept forever. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Christchurch Conway podcast. We hope this teaching has helped you grow in the unity of faith and knowledge of the Son of God. Please feel free to share this resource so that others may also be strengthened in their faith through the study of scripture and theology.